Welcome to Gary Jordan. He's joining me on Carrie's Corner today on the Biz News Power Hour. Gary, hi, and thanks so much for joining us. Hi, Carrie, and uh, welcome from the uh, from the, the deck at the cellar door at Jordan Wine Estate. I can see. I'm so envious. I'm sitting in a white, bright, clean studio, which is nice. But I'm looking at you sitting under a tree. What is it? A fig tree? What kind of a tree is that? No, that's a no, that's uh, that's a tree I actually planted in 1985. Uh, it's actually a London plane tree, believe oh, it or not. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for taking time out. I know it's a really, really busy time, but it wouldn't be radio, and it wouldn't be Carrie, and it wouldn't be Harvest if I didn't have Gary Jordan on our first Harvest update. So. You, I think, have started harvesting. I'm going to open up the floor. You go, ready, steady, go. Tell everybody what's happening with the harvest this year. Excellent. Well, Carrie, it's been a really interesting build-up to the year. Luckily, no drought problems, um, et cetera, that we had for those sort of four or five really dry years. Um, uh, We've had some really great rains, uh, an early cool start to spring. Um, I've been looking at all the rainfall records over the last uh, few days, and many of those days early in September were around 5 to 9 degrees Celsius. So really cool. And then suddenly uh, we got this incredibly hot day. 9th of September, um, it was 29 degrees. So the vines kind of scrapped and, and uh, and off they went. So it's um, it was a crazy start to the season, I think. And uh, a lot of people just didn't know how to cope. Vines were fine because they hadn't really woken up, but it did wake them up with a with a good jolt. I think from then on, we had uh, quite a bit of rain uh, during the, the sort of growing season. Not too much. Uh, no more than like, usual, um, Gary. You know, it, was it no more than usual? No, but no, it was definitely, definitely more than usual for the growing season. So, for instance, in October, we had 40 millimeters of rain, but really good soaking rains. Uh, equivalent, if you were a dry land irrigation farmer, um, uh, equivalent to a really good irrigation. So it, it all came from above, which is all much, much better um, than, than uh, out of a sprinkler pipe. And, um, and then the same for November, also 40, kind of duplicating that. So um, those two months had really good sprinkles. Of course, um, farmers like to complain about the weather, and we all do. But um, it brings along, and, and when I went back into, uh, into this in detail to try and look at it, we had sort of humidities, even on days it wasn't raining, of right up into the 90s. Now, humidity and mildew kind of go together. So while you had all this moisture in the ground, um, great for, for vines, and particularly all the, the young vineyards that we planted, including uh, our third block of Assertico this year, um, it's... Uh, it wasn't great for growing grapes. And so you really had to be on top of your game. Um, and I think the more, the more artificial sprays you sprayed, probably the worse it was because you build up resistance to some of these things. So try and do it as naturally as possible, uh, as regenerative as possible. And you know, the results look really good. And Gary, but, what, uh, what is a natural, sorry to interrupt there, what is a natural spray to ward off mildew? What, what goes into a natural mildew sort of get-off? So there are things like potassium carbonate that you can spray um, or contact sprays rather than these uh, really harsh systemic sprays. Um, Carrie, it's the same as looking at, uh, you know, if you have any vine pests, you don't want to spray anything in summer when you've got your natural 
predators out there uh, because all you're doing is killing the ladybirds that are going to be you know, eating the mealybug, mm, for instance. Mm, mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So on so, we go. I so mean, people, you know, think that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So keep going. So the whole build up, build up to harvest has been an interesting one. Cool, um, windy, um, kind of the thing where you'd say, God, you know, when is when are we going to have uh, summer? And then in in January we had some really hot days, but we could see it coming. You know, you can see on on the weather predictions that we were going to have these few days uh, going up into the you know 35, 36 degrees, much higher. Um, I saw friends posting that their car was up to 50 degrees in Paul, and you can imagine the Swatland also quite quite hot. Um, and as long as your vines were kind of happy, um, they would be able to go through go through that those few days quite easily. So. A lot of people uh, from from ourselves to people like the Molyneux, just doing things to to keep the vine roots happy so that they didn't stress over those few days. And um, and were you yeah, irrigate so, were you irrigating during that very hot air period because it wasn't raining then was it or was it? No. So we start we don't we don't need to irrigate really where we are in Stellenbosch, but we did knowing that there was thirty five degree days coming up. Uh, and it was just certain vineyards that have, uh, you know, easy drainage, these granitic soils uh, with a little less clay in them. Those we, we drip irrigated about uh, for 10 hours before, before that heat wave hit. And it was, it's quite interesting because the way that the, um, the grape varieties are coming in now is different to any, any vintage I've experienced in Stellenbosch. Um, everyone around us is all getting Chardonnay coming in first. I saw uh, that. As opposed to Sauvignon Blanc, as opposed to Sauvignon Blanc or, or Shannon, if you don't have the other two varieties. Um, but it certainly seems like it was happened during flowering. Sauvignon Blanc flowering was much later. We we started so, uh, harvesting some Sauvignon Blanc today, but the the rest of the blocks uh, are going to be another week or two off. Gosh, that's quite um, late. That's... But neighbors, yeah, neighbors all around us. Uh, uh, De Morgenson, for instance, Wendy's been harvesting. Chardonnay. Uh, we've started on our on our Chardonnay. The first block uh, that uh, that I'd replanted um, uh, that has already now come off. Um, oh, quite an interesting year, but that's but the very early for Chardonnay. I've never heard Chardonnay coming off before Sauvignon Blanc. That's very unusual. Mm. So for this I week, know, it was anyway, scary. I hot-footed it back to we, back to the Cape. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I mean, it's it's quite a tricky one. I am. Um, we, we'll do as you know. If you've got the time, we do every week. We do a quick, a quick sort of update on where you at. This one, I wanted a longer sort of thing for the listeners because I think it's so interesting for them to know. It is just farming, but it's terribly technical, and there's so many components that go into making it a good or a bad harvest. So, how much have you actually harvested as at today, the 11th of February? Four. 4,454 kilograms. So in other words, like close to four and a half tons. We really are at the early stage of harvest. And if you think now it's the 11th of February, that's probably two weeks later than, uh, than a usual harvest in Stellenbosch. So not, um, uh, it's quite easy to understand because it was a cooler growing season. Um, but that's good. You don't, want, um, you don't want to be harvesting when you have these massive heat waves. You want those to come before um, 
or after you've, you've harvested? Well, you know, if we think of it, I mean, you and I have got lots to talk about because you can also relate your English harvest, which, which we can talk about in a little bit. But if you think of it, um, the temperatures in Bordeaux, they also get up to 40, 44 degrees. And so it's not completely unusual. It's just that everybody's been complaining so much about the heat in Cape Town in the last few weeks. And I thought, gosh, yeah. this can't be good so for the vintage. I, I, I think it's this, no, I think it's this relentless heat on top of fairly vigorous, uh, happy vines. And it's it suddenly pushes the, uh, the harvesting date and compresses it much more. So while we're at the beginning stage uh, of harvest down, for most people, it's been a, a little bit of a stop start. Um, we're probably not, not going to harvest anything over the weekend. We might not harvest anything on Monday. But then later on next week, it'll all start catching up. But you're going to get that really compressed harvest because of the heat. Yes. And Gary, still, I mean, I know there's all kinds of technical ways of, of determining whether the grapes are ready or not. It's still nicest to sort of take a sort of stroll down the, the vine, the rows of, of vineyard and taste, really. Is that how do you, I mean, you obviously do your belling tests and things, but do you still taste to see if they taste right? The tongue-tippy toots is the best. There is <laughs> no so. other. There is no other way of actually knowing whether your grapes are, are, are ready to harvest than, than actually walking down the vineyard row. And they always say that the best uh, manure or fertilizer uh, that you could ever put in the vineyard are the farmer's footprints. Um, you're walking row for row as you go and take samples in the morning early. Um, you, you get to see a pretty good picture of what's coming up for the harvest. And it enables you to kind of plan the few weeks ahead. Yes, because it's a hectic few weeks. The other thing is, is have you, have you seen even ripening or is there patchy ripening? Are you getting nice even ripening? I suppose you've been doing, in true Jordan tradition, fantastic canopy management. So you've got nice even ripening. Yeah, but what I have seen though on some of the reds, and I think it's it's quite it happens quite commonly when you get this sort of really cool growing season, is that uh, some of the reds now have gone through verasion or the colouring up. So uh, Cabernet, for instance, is now already black, uh, but now it's accumulating sugar. But every now and again, we see we've got a green berry there, and that sort of thing you've got to be so wary of because you're going to end up with green tannins or. Uh, or really um, quite astringent wine. Yeah, that powdery tannin that sort of. And so you don't want to, uh, to, to yeah. harvest too soon. Yeah. yeah. And then um, we can't talk Jordan harvest without mentioning our little green friends. Have you come across any of your little chameleons? It's funny, there seem to be uh, quite a few chameleons around this year. And, uh, and everyone all over Stellenbosch and, uh, and Constantia have been sort of posting photographs or pictures of chameleons that they've seen all around in their gardens and shrubs and trees. Um, so it's really nice. And it's probably because we're back to a normal, uh, you know, good winter rain uh, season. Yeah. Gary, the, the horror stories that we're hearing about powdery and downy mildew, talk to me about those. Okay. For, for a number of farmers, they... Um, in the dry years, uh, and we're certainly talking about sort of 2014 to 18, particularly the latter part uh, of those few vintages, they would have seen almost no um, mildew at all. And I, this is a, a fungus that grows on the 
leaves, or it, uh, in the case of downy mildew, can wipe up out your whole crop within 24 hours, and particularly prevalent at flowering. And, and when I look at the dates when we got rain, and I'm looking at high humidities here, um, as well as the, uh, the lack of rain over that period of time, they always talk about a 10, 10, 10, you know, 10 millimeters of rain over 10 hours, and it's got to be over 10 degrees Celsius. It's a recipe for, uh, for mildew in, in your vineyards. And if you're not vigilant, um, you can spray, a, uh, in the case of powdery mildew, just a, a contact spray like um, uh, sulfur, for instance, is one of the earliest forms and known forms of uh, uh, preventative spray. Um, you, you end up with mildew on your leaves, but in the case of, of downy mildew, you'll actually end up with it affecting the bunch, withering the little stem uh, below the flowers, and the whole crop is gone, literally 24 hours. So it's it's a time where, yeah, you they talk about it over over um, uh, often around sort of Christmas, New Year. They call it Hermanusicta. So when the farmers go. When the farmers all take time off and they go off to Hermanus and you get that little bit of rain between Christmas and New Year, um, that's when you need to be vigilant and be in your vineyard. So the, the reality is, is that if you didn't spray in December, if, if you had to, you pretty much got that sickness and there's no vaccination or mask that you can wear at this stage of the game, is there? Not afterwards. Once once you're in hospital on life support, uh, you can't go back and, and vaccinate yourself. Um, you know, so it's all about being vigilant before and then you don't need to spray any sort of harsh chemicals yes, or systemics. Yes. Now, Gary, your son, is your son orchestrating this year's harvest is it his first harvest on his own i mean i know dad came back just to have a little overseer and a look because it wouldn't be jordan without gary but but he's busy running your farm isn't he no, so so alex uh created a new job for himself as uh <laughs> basically as projects manager so he's he's involved in uh we're building a couple of uh staff houses here for uh winemaker and viticulturalist um just because they've been living off the farm for a while. But, you know, our business has grown so much that we actually want people to be on the farm. It's it, We've always been buck the trend kind of people. So whereas most people are, are trying to get staff to get off the farm, we're actually getting staff to come back onto the farm, and which is really nice. So Alex is busy with that, plus all everything you see around here, plus uh, involved with the cellar and uh, tasting area. Uh, I mean, he comes from a... Uh, both a finance and hospitality background, uh, which are two good combinations. So that no, works. No, it's, it's fantastic. It's wonderful. I'm excited because it means that there's just another generation of Jordans that everybody can be treated to. So if we're looking at next week, you've done a little bit of Chardonnay. Have we have we done the Nine Yards vineyard yet or not? Have you? No. and No. Uh, no, the Nine Yards is one of the – because it's high up and cool, it's going to be one of the last um, Chardonnay vineyards – that we harvest, but it's quite um, it's quite apt that we're chatting about it because this year will be our twenty first vintage of the so. nine yard Chardonnay. I thought so. so. I really didn't want to jump great, the gun there and um, give away a lovely. special twenty first birthday, but uh, I did think I, when I was looking th through my stuff when I knew we were chatting today, and I thought I'm sure nine yards turns twenty one. That's quite a special anniversary. It is, and uh, you know this year we're going to be going the even our harvest T shirts say twenty one years of going the 
going the whole nine yards. Um, but but we'll 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 be updating you as as those grapes are ripening. Um, I think next week we're going to be harvesting more Chardonnay, more Sauvignon Blanc. Doesn't look like any Chenin coming in yet. Um, uh, but certainly the younger younger vineyards always ripen a little earlier. And vineyards on the north-facing sides, um, for obvious reasons, more sun and uh, slightly drier soils, also ripen a little sooner. But high up and cool on the south side, um, much later. And are you getting much sea breeze coming over the farm at this stage of the game? Have you had any winds? We are. Um, you know, this last week, uh, not just sea breeze, but the sort of thing that we normally only see at the end of harvest, uh, which are these mists rolling in off both False Bay and Table Bay. It's been quite um, awesome to see at this early stage of harvest where it might be you know, in the 20s late in the afternoon. And then by early morning, you, you can hardly see anything because and people have to drive with their lights on because of the mist. Now, that's good and bad. Good because it cools everything down. Bad because we'd actually prefer it towards the end of harvest when we can get botrytis um, mold growing on the grapes. We don't we don't want that early part of harvest because then there's a lot of sorting, um, you know. And uh, you'd like to keep your sweet wines and your noble late harvests to the end of harvest Separate. rather than. But you know what? Do you know what I quite like that you pick up every now and again on a bit of a freak Sauvignon Blanc or a Chardonnay, is that you get that slight hint of botrytis on some of them. And, and it's not particularly popular, but I love it because I just think that that botrytis injection or that sort of little, I love the character that it adds. There are many great wines around the world. And if you look at the, the, the earlier wines of Klein Constantia, for instance, um, those Sauvignon Blancs all had a hint of botrytis in them. Um, it's it, clean botrytis is fantastic because it adds a wonderful element um, to the wine. And the slight hint of sweetness that you get from it, while it might be a dry wine in the end, uh, just really adds that uh, longevity to, the, to yeah. the wine. No, I love it. So I always hope that people like you get a little bit of a waft of botrytis over the Sauvignon Blanc vineyard, vineyard before you bring it all in. And then... The reds. You know, it's so popular that in uh, California they actually try and spray. Br br oh, really? Really? That's interesting. You know, especially with the Sauvignon Blanc, Gary, I, it can sometimes be a little bit one-dimensional. And if it gets that little kiss from Botrytis, it just turns into a much more complicated white wine than it would normally otherwise have been. So maybe you're lucky and you get some Botrytis. The reds, are we weeks and weeks and weeks away from harvesting red? No, not that far. Um, when one looks at the Swatland, uh, obviously just a little further north of Stellenbosch and a little warmer and drier, uh, people are already um, looking at some of that. Of course, um, for bubbly, Pinot Noir has been harvested already. Uh, people are starting to bring uh, Pinotage in, in Stellenbosch particularly. Um, the sort of earlier, uh, younger blocks coming in first. Uh, but we're looking at Merlot being our first uh, variety that will come in. Um, and then followed by Cabernet Franc, uh, which we're really excited about, and uh, and Cab would be one of the last. Well, somebody asked me the other day if I like Merlot, because Merlot is such a popular red wine variety in South Africa, and I said to them, no, 
There's only two Merlots that I really drink. The one is Chateau Petrus and the other one is, is Jordan. Those are the only two Merlots I drink. <laughs> you make lovely Merlot. I'm excited about your Certico program that you're putting in place because it's one of my favorite grapes. And I think you are the only person in South Africa to have planted a Certico. But you tell us about your Certico. So, Carrie, it was a, um, a many years worth of uh, bureaucracy, red tape, and so on, to be able to get uh, a Certico into the country. Um, when uh, probably more than 30 years ago we tried to do that, there was just absolutely no way because uh, grape varieties such as the Certico and others that are, are less common um, they kind of have to be uh, okayed through the Department of Agriculture and it's actually got to be signed off in Parliament. So to bring in new varieties, yeah, so to bring in new varieties, uh, it actually has to be, uh, an act has to be passed. And, and so this, this uh, system really got changed only in the last few years, where uh, we brought, you must, you must remember in those days, uh, there was a 20-year quarantine for uh, new grape varieties before you could commercially plant them. They brought that back down to five. And now quite wisely, they say that if it comes from a really good certified nursery in Europe, for example, uh, that you're allowed to bring those in as long as they certified virus-free. So the process was a long one initially. We brought in the first uh, commercial lot of, uh, of uh, Chardonnay um, with the help of Vititech because that was essential um, to be able to propagate them uh, and get them to a stage where we could plant a few thousand vines rather than just one or two cuttings. Um, and we at that stage now where uh, if you imagine you you you, you graft them one year, they will be uh, in a nursery, and then only after that do you start planting them out. And that's a three-year process then before your first vintage. So the day we started planting them, people said, oh, you're going to harvest uh, a Certico this year. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> no. It's not like, not like mealies. You know? <laughs> so anyway, we're we at the stage where this year will be the maiden vintage of a Certico, just a small amount to kind of test out our amphora. And, I'm so um, excited. It yeah. Just for everybody's sort of background, Assertico is a Greek grape. I think that I think that it's so old that it must be one of the parents of Sauvignon Blanc. I, I, I don't know, and you are that person who does soils and all that kind of thing, but it tastes to me a little bit like Sauvignon Blanc because it's, it's very acidic. It's got that lovely, tight, grippy, firm acid. But it's also got citrusy, lemony, limey kind of aromatics. So it's a bit like that, but it's so much more textured and gravelly and gorgeous and, and, and more interesting than Sauvignon Blanc. But it grows in a very special way. Tell the listeners how you grow a Certico. Yeah, so a Certico uh, traditionally um, in, in sort of it's an ancient variety, as you mentioned, and many of the Certico vines growing on a Santorini, which is kind of where most of the best uh, wines come from now kind of taking the world by storm the people have actually woken up even though it's such an old variety now being uh, you know put on restaurant lists all around the world um, but it's it's grown traditionally in these kulura or baskets so this basket shape can take anywhere up to 40 plus years to make uh, it's a living basket so you plant your vineyard uh, or your vine the first year prune it back to two eyes and then the next year, it'll have a few shoots come out of it. And after about four years, you can start with the 
shape of the vine and start to plait it. And what traditionally was done in uh, Santorini is they, uh, they have very little rainfall. So A, a little like the uh, parts of the Western Cape. Uh, it's really close to the sea, so it gets that uh, sea influence. Mm. Very minerally sort of soils. Gorgeous. Uh, it's, like, it's like oyster shells. It tastes like oyster yeah. shells, doesn't it? Retains its acidity. So a bit like Riesling and uh, Chenin Blanc. It's got those kind of flavors too, uh, which you can imagine is then really great with seafood, uh, but got much more texture and structure than uh, Sauvignon Blanc, as you mentioned. Um, but the Kalura itself, um, this would be done a, a generation uh one particular uh, generation would grow the first lot of this basket. And some of them are, are 80, 120 I years know, old. I know, they're beautiful. So, so for everybody to understand, this basket that it grows in is actually a basket made from its own roots. A am I correct? So where does the root go down into the ground to pick up? Because I know that they also love growing in, in sort of volcanic, dark, ashy type soils. So... So how do you get the root into the soil? So, so vines love um, soils that tractors hate. Uh, <laughs> you know, this, the kind of soils that will break tractor impl implements are what uh, vines love best, particularly Assertigo. And literally down the central part of it, you'll have the, the roots going down into the soil, going as deep as they possibly can to collect, uh, you know, moisture. Um, but then also the reason, that, the ancient historical reason why they had these uh, basket-shaped uh, vines was because of the winds. And you can imagine for us here in the, in the Western Cape, we get that southeaster blowing. Uh, sometimes you, you can hold your bicycle, you know, at... Uh, Absolutely, at, at 90 degrees, yeah, 180, degrees, yeah. 90 degrees to, uh, to whichever way it's blowing. And um, yeah, the... the the funny thing is only the only parts here at Jordan where we have really strong winds are the tops of the hills. And this is where we've chosen the spots for our Certico. So it can look at False Bay and, and Table Bay, and it's high up and cool. It's growing in these minerally soils. We're giving them no water. Uh, so it's got to survive on the mist that it gets, plus the, uh, uh, the odd bit of rainfall during the uh, winter and, and growing season. So I think a it great sounds choice. I think yeah, I think it sounds absolutely perfect for a Certico, and I'm so excited to taste this wine because I think I'm correct in saying it's the first Certico in South Africa. It's going to be the first commercial Certico. It's obviously been done. I think Evan uh, planted some, and that was done on an experimental basis. But nobody, nobody to date has commercially planted. And it's just It'll so. Now take off. It's going to be such a. A draw card, I think, for anybody who's interested in wine to go and see the vineyards, the Assertico vineyards with all these little baskets. It looks like you've got a, it looks like you've got a nursery growing outside and you've planted them in a basket. That's what it looks like. It's just too cute for words. And I think it is weird. You, yeah, I think you're going to just produce the most gorgeous, gorgeous Assertico. Tell me. No, you'd think me. that uh, you'd ha you'd have. Uh, uh, dinosaurs grazing in between them. Exactly you know? that. They, they, they look like something that you, you've never seen anywhere else in the world. I know. They're sort of post-nuclear. They look so funny, you know. They're really just not what we're used to. So having a look at your Assertico, I'm sure you looked at it recently. What is it looking like? Is it looking promising? It's looking good. So it's a later variety. So it's, uh, it'll come in long after Sauvignon Blanc, Chardonnay, and Chenin Blanc. 
but it'll still happen, I think, before the end of the month. Um, it's difficult to tell on young, young vines will always ripen a little, little earlier. But I think we're looking at, at the, at the moment, the, the sugar reading is about 17 degree bricks. Um, so it's kind of ready to, if we're going to make a, nobody does, but if you're going to make a, a sparkling wine, say you'd be harvesting it between 17 and 20, say, degree bricks. But we're going to be making, you know, really nice still wines that we're going to want to age a bit. Uh, so we're looking at another two, three weeks uh, before we'd be harvesting that. And Gary, are you, how are you going to vinify it? Are you going to put it into tank or barrel? I think it should be barrel fermented, really, historically, isn't it? Yeah, I, Gary, I particularly, and having tasted hundreds of, uh, of examples on Santorini and, and elsewhere, um, I don't particularly like barrel-aged ones that are um, in any new, new kind of oak. Uh, it's the variety where it's so minerally, it's so precise, it's got so much texture and structure, you don't need to add that from uh, any, any time in barrel. So if it's going to go to barrel, it's got to be old barrels. Um, but what we prefer to do is we're going to put it in clay amphora. So it's going to kind of go back into the soil, but back into clay. And that retains, retains this really wonderful mineral element that uh, Assertico has. And when can, we, when can we sort of look forward to buying a bottle? We're planning, obviously, it's going to be harvested now. It's going to be in amphora for a few months. Uh, how long? I can't actually tell you until we do the... We've got to taste it and see how it, uh, how it is. But um, by this time next year, uh, a Certico should be in the bottle. I'm terribly excited about it. Have you put together a label and everything for it already? So a Certico is one of the things that we have to have to count down the days. We're going to have, I think I'm going to produce a Jordan um, advent calendar. So that we can open up a thing and get a different bottle of wine every single month until we count down to a Certico. But in addition to a Certico, you have released another new project. And I just have to tell everybody that if you really want to get anything right, phone Gary and Kathy Jordan and ask them their opinion. I think it was Tuesday morning, my doorbell rang and a guy delivered a box to me, which was absolutely beautifully done it's just a cardboard box it's wrapped up in a sort of a a material type ribbon with a little jordan key ring you can tell me about those i don't know what i'm sure it's something that somebody made or it's something that will disappear back into the soil if i planted it and inside were two bottles of wine that form part of the new jordan timepiece um project talk to me about those they look just too beautiful i haven't i haven't drunk them yet so carrie when i took over uh, the farm from my dad ted uh, who i think worked harder uh, than any other time in his life you know he was third generation shoemaker at jordan shoes and stepped into the wine business and uh, kind of worked 24 hours a day uh, but the very first vines that he replanted here at jordan um uh, 1983, he started replanting the whole farm, uh, was this wonderful block of Chenin Blanc and Sauvignon Blanc above it, all on the south south side of the property. So um, the wines that we've now uh, released uh, in our timepiece range really kind of honor my dad as the as the founder of, uh, of Jordan Wine Estate in its sort of modern form. 
and, um, and unlocks our heritage, I suppose, in many ways. Because uh, this was a clone, um, a Montpellier clone of, uh, of Shannon. Um, and uh, many of the farmers in those days, in the very early 80s, didn't want to plant this because it, <laughs> you know, it just wasn't giving you enough Enough grapes. fruit, yeah. Uh, and, and with many co-op farmers around in the area, uh, for them it had to be, you know, 20 tons per hectare or else it would come out. Well, here, this gives you less than half that sometimes. Uh, and these lovely, gnarly old vines just have this texture and this flavor that uh, you really can't get from, from any of the modern clones. Yes. So it is a heritage site because I think you it have is. to be 25 yeah. or 30 or something to be declared a heritage you, site. You've got to be minimum 30, 35 years okay. old vines. Okay. Um, and when you look at some of the greatest vines, when we were talking about Assertico earlier, some of those Santorini vines, for instance, are 400 years old. Oy, it's now, just there's unthinkable. There's much in South Africa that is that age. But if we don't look after our old vines, uh, we're not going to have this wonderful heritage, heritage. To, to look after yeah. in the future. I think so it's a wonderful vine project. I think it's wonderful. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say. It's part of your old vine project, which in at the moment I think is Chenin Blanc and – Sauvignon Blanc, but you must have Chardonnay that's creeping up close to 35 years, mustn't you? We, we have, Carrie, but uh, there's one block of Chardonnay which we've now already, well, we have the first one we harvested today. It unfortunately succumbed to virus way too early on in its life. And I decided to pull it out and replant it after leaving the, the ground fallow because, you know, it just wasn't worth being able to keep that on. So we will follow it with the Chardonnay, but that'll take another two or three years um, with some of the other Chardonnay blocks I've planted. But there'll be a Riesling in the, in, the, in the lineup and there'll be some Cab in the lineup as well. I was going to say, Cab must be the next one as well because you've got some lovely old Cabernet there. And just for the listeners, Gary, just give them the, um, the lowdown on how infinitely special the wine is that comes from these very old vines because it's different it's so different isn't it it is uh carrie and what we've done is we've barrel fermented some of it uh we've fermented some of it in, in amphora so the in these 400 liter clay vessels um and there was method in my madness because knowing that we're going to be harvesting a certico i wanted to make sure that we had our amphora ready for uh, <laughs> yes, for the you didn't Asetico. want it to be I, new, I, yeah, exactly. And uh, and the results have been stunning. So um, we're certainly going to continue that with the timepiece, but uh, add on to that with the uh, with the new Asetico. Well, I'm so excited. I have decided, uh, Jonathan, my son is going back to England on Saturday, and I'm going to be. I'm suffering from that empty nest thing all over again for the 50th time in my life. It's not, nobody tells you when you have children, do they? So I thought that I would entertain myself on Saturday after I've dropped him at the airport and I'd open the Shannon because I'm so dying to taste the timepiece Shannon. So I'm going to make myself a lobster and I'm going to have a bottle of Jordan's timepiece Shannon on Saturday night. And then I'll tell you what it tastes like when we speak next week. Um, the last thing that I had to speak to you about, and now it's gone completely out of my head because we've had some, we'll be totally honest with everybody, we've had some uh, finger trouble and button trouble and fiber trouble at Biz News. It's been a bit tricky 
Um, we moved into new studios and we're still much against all the odds managing to get some broadcasts out. But Gary, the um, the race to get the first Sauvignon Blanc out, have we heard from anybody? It's already the middle of February. I think it was this time last year that Taste Low released the first Demers Dull. Have you heard of anything that's been released yet? I, I haven't, not not to date. It may happen in the next week or two uh, because there are a few producers who started harvesting a little earlier. And um, I haven't heard of, of anybody uh, having released it or bottled it yet. But it, it, because the vintage is, say, two weeks later, expect it in the next two weeks. Okay, well, I haven't yet either. But until next week, when we're going to tell everybody about Amphora, because I think Amphora is the next big hero of the South African wine industry. Everything I taste that comes out of Amphora is just absolutely delicious. So we'll talk about all those kind of things. We can also maybe make a little bit of reference to your your English harvest, which you which you did in September last year. And we'll do an update on the the harvest and the vintage according to, to Gary Jordan. You're such a star. Thank you for taking time out always. We really, really love being part of tiny part of Jordan. <laughs>